Hello and welcome to our podcast, Just Us. It's a podcast about racial reconciliation from a Christian perspective. We have a motto for our podcast. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Make room for us in your hearts. We have a goal that through this podcast we will help build bridges, break down barriers, so that we do make room for each other in our hearts, even as we overcome some of the barriers of prejudice that can separate people. Now, one of the ways that we break down those barriers and come to open our hearts to others is through stories. You know, we live life as a story. And today, we are going to have someone who is a very interesting person share his story with us. I have someone here to help me ask the questions. Her name is Ketty Yulia, and she is originally from New Zealand, but has ministered in New Zealand and Australia and South Africa and the United States. She's a mother of five, the wife of a pastor. She has been on one of our podcasts before, and we're delighted that she's here today. Thank you. Thank you. Our special guest today is Brian Cladisby. Did I get that? You did. Close? Good job. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> Brian is from the Swinomish tribe of Native, Amer Native Americans. He has been not only the leader of that tribe, but he has been the president of a confederation of 573 tribal nations. He has had audience with Barack Obama when he was president, and maybe he'll tell us a little bit about that. I'm not sure. I've seen a little video of that, and uh, it was quite interesting to see him uh, be able to place a gift on Barack Obama's head, uh, give him a, a special gift of a hat. So, Brian, we would like to start out by just having you tell us a little bit of your story. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your story, and then we'll have some other questions. Sure. Um, great. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, my uh, traditional name uh, is uh, Kel Cult Soot. Kel Cult Soot. And that was my uh, dad's great grandfather who signed the Point Elliott Treaty for our tribe in 1855. So I am a hereditary chief of the Swinomish Indian tribal community, a lifelong resident there. I am uh, 63 years young, and I've never lived anywhere else in my life except the Swinomish uh, Indian Reservation. Tell us where that is for those who may not know. Okay, so that is about uh, one hour uh, north of Seattle. If you know anything about Seattle, um, right there at the north end of Seattle, it takes you, it's 60 miles. So depending on how you drive, it could take you anywhere from an hour to hour and a half to get uh, to Swinomish. So, and how the traffic is, I'm sure. Yes, and we're located on an island. Uh, it's actually, the, if you know anything about the San Juan Islands, it's the first island oh, wow. in the chain of the San Juan Islands, uh, Fidelgo Island. Yes. 
And uh, yeah, we've been there since time immemorial. We've, oh, we've always had our homeland there. And uh, my wife and I have been an Adventist since 1988. We were baptized in 1988. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. I grew up in the Catholic church. Uh, my grandmother living below us was a strong member of the Northwest traditional Shaker church. Mm. And so when uh, uh, we went looking for a church, um, the Lummi uh, tribe, the Lummi uh, people, uh, they built an Adventist church up there. And so when, when Nina was young, my wife Nina, who's been by my side 47 years, we've been married 44. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, uh, when she was young, a young girl, her grandmother was a strong Adventist at the Arlington Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so her grandmother planted a seed in her, and it was my grandfather who took me to the Pentecostal Church, and that was the seed that was planted in me. And uh, that seed went dormant for about 20 years. Uh, yeah. Growing up on an Indian reservation, alcohol was the drug of choice. It was, it was, it was an epidemic. Um, it was, uh, you know, we, like all tribes, had anywhere from 50 to 80 percent alcoholism wow. rate, 50 to 80 percent mm. unemployment rate, 50 to 80 percent poverty rate. It was, it was really, really bad. It was a really, really bad time. Um, in our lives to have to grow up in that type of environment. And we fell into that trap. You know, my great-grandfather alcoholic, my father, al or grandfather alcoholic, my father alcoholic, and uh, my brothers. I had three brothers older than me. Uh, when I was eight years old, they first uh, introduced alcohol to me. So if you wow. have an Did eight, you say eight years old? Eight years old. Wow. So okay. if you have an eight-year-old at home... I do. I, she's, well, she's nine now, but I'm just yeah, imagining... Yeah, her walking around the house drunk. Wow. Wow is right. So that was, that was the norm. And that, our, was, that was normal for them to... So no was, one would have batted an eyelid to see this. Um, um, the parents were intoxicated. You know, alcohol was just readily accessible and... Yeah, my brothers introduced that to me at eight years old. So um, it was uh, it was it was a not a good time. Yeah, uh, yeah we, I can imagine. Um, growing up in that type of um, atmosphere, you've seen things that no child should ever see. You experience things that no child should ever experience. Mm. And uh, I'll get um, later. I will get and tell you about the genesis of that. But. Um, for about 20 years, it was nothing but drugs it and alcohol, was, yeah. and Nina and I got to the point where we were drinking and fighting yeah. and drinking and fighting, and Nina was one that said, we're either going to get a divorce or we're going to go to church. And Interesting. Thank God um, we made the right choice, yeah. Yeah. and that was in 1988, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's only by the grace of God that we are here with you today, only by um, His God. blessings. Can I just ask, so you touched base on your childhood, being eight years old, um, being familiar already with alcohol and growing up in a household or um, with the tribe where this is kind of the normal. Um, did you at any point during these younger years think this is something's not right here? Or was it just something that because it was, you know, part, everyone else was doing it, the old, your older ones that you would look up to, and um, it just... When, when uh, our people always had a rite of passage for our boys and girls, okay. and uh, every native culture, um, our non-native culture, had some form of rite of passage 
for their children, uh, we lost that ability. And so at, uh, you know, eight years old, I start drinking it. 12 years old, my um, sixth grade basketball coach got us all stoned in the gym on marijuana. Wow. At 14, okay. my cousin gave me acid, LSD, for the first time. And at 16 is when uh, driving home from a football game, this is when you know you arrive. This is your rite of passage. I playing football in high school, and I was driving my mom and dad home, and my dad opens up a beer of alcohol and hands it to and me while I'm driving. And that's kind of like, that became the rite of passage. Cool, yes, I'm drinking with yeah. Dad now. And so that same year at Christmas, um, he had uh, a half a gallon of black velvet. And so he handed it to me, kind of like my Christmas present. Yeah. And me and my friends were walking around yeah. at 16 on the reservation. So it was uh, not so good. You're mentioning that, um, so your father hands you a bottle of beer, and then you've just also uh, mentioned another label. Um, so at this time, are there liquor stores... On the reservation? Not no? on the reservation, no. No, okay. There, no, zero infrastructure whatsoever, okay. no. But the, the alcohol was just a mile away. Has that changed at all, or is we'll it get into the that. same? Okay. We'll get into that. Mm, okay. Mm, we're just excited here. <laughs> but but uh, uh, from a political standpoint, uh, I uh, was on my tribal council for 35 years. I was the chairman of my tribe for 23 years. Uh, I was president of the Association of Washington Tribes, which advocates for 29 tribes in Washington for 20 years. Uh, I was president of the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians, which represents 60 tribes in seven western states. And I, like you mentioned, I was also president of the National Congress of American Indians, which advocates for 573 tribal nations. Now, when you think about Jesus mm. and his life, you know, Jesus did not climb the ladder of success. Jesus came down from mm. heaven. He climbed down that ladder. And in our culture, uh, our elders tell us, you're familiar with the totem pole, of course, yes. the totem pole. Yeah. And they tell us the most important figure in the totem pole is not the one on top. It's the one on bottom. The one on, the bottom. The one on top represents the children, the most vulnerable, the elders. They're at top. They say, that's where you start as a child, at the top of the totem pole. And as you grow, you start making your way down that totem pole. And if you're fortunate enough to make it to the bottom as a leader, you're at the bottom holding all your people up. So, so it's counter to the non-Indian um, society thinking of, I climbed the ladder of success. Right. Look at me now. It's totally different in our culture where we climb down that ladder, we get to the bottom, we hold everybody Foundation. up. So Jesus came mm. down from heaven. Yes. He, Jacob's ladder. He came down Jacob's ladder to the bottom to pick us up, to hold us up. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the analogy that we use for leadership in, in our community is that you're there. You're not there to be served. That's you're right. there to serve your people. And that was my mentality as a leader. And you just don't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be president of 573 tribal nations in the United States. Yes. It just doesn't happen. It's only by the grace of God. And like you said, he'll put you in front of kings and princesses. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, from a political standpoint, we're apolitical. So our issues in Olympia or Washington, D.C. are nonpartisan. So we need Democrats, Republicans, and independents. So you need to talk be able to talk mm, all three that's languages right. That's right. in order because you go back there, you're talking to both sides of the aisle, you're advocating 
for your issues to be passed, and Barack Obama just happened to come at the right time, and we passed more legislation, we had more things done. He invited 573 tribal nations to Washington, D.C. eight years in a row to meet with him personally. That's and amazing. Only, the only time in the year when he had his entire cabinet, his entire cabinet under one room with anybody in the world was with tribal nations. That's how much he, that's oh, how wow. much it meant to him to yes. see real sovereignty and nation to nation work. That's, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and I've got the two stories and in my mind I'm, wow, I, it's, it's, it's definitely a Christ thing, it's a Jesus thing, right? Yes. How, what was the shift? What was the shift? So you went to church because you went from drinking beer, alcohol at such a young age and there would have been a stage where you've had to break out of that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole discovery of, of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you, how, how does this happen that you become that foundation of the, the totem pole and- The bottom of the totem that's pole. That's right. Make it to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, once again, I, I think about Jesus and I just wanna share with you. And, and when you think about Jesus coming to earth, he came to break mm-hmm. the cycle. That's right. He came to break the cycle because Satan had so mischaracterized the father to the people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Right. And who are the lost? The Samaritan woman at the well in John 4.39. Mm-hmm. It, it was someone, and we're going to talk about racism, and it's not, it, it's universal. Racism is universal. Mm-hmm. And even during Jesus' time, People wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They wouldn't. They looked at them as dogs, half-breeds. They were no good. And so Jesus, he went to save and seek the Samaritan woman. The woman caught in adultery in John 7.35. Matthew, the tax collector, in Matthew 9.9. In in Matthew 9.13, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, uh, you know, I think about... Uh, him breaking the cycle, Jesus breaking the cycle. And in Luke 4.40, he says, While the sun was setting, all those who were sick with various diseases were brought to him and laying his hands on them, they were all healed. Not some of them. They were all healed. And Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And we have to have two thought process when we read this, mm-hmm. a spiritual and a physical. So when he talks about the poor, that could be the richest man in the world, That's right. poor in spirit. That's right. Yeah, he says, I come to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And once again, we might, we might not be in prison prisoners the way we think of it. We're captive That's of right. Satan. It's, right. a, it's a prisoner of Satan. He says, recovery of sight for the blind. And once again, the spiritual blind, those that can't see. Not physically blind, but spiritually blind. And to set the oppressed free, those under Satan's yoke. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we were there. Nina and I were there. We were held captives. We were poor in spirit. We were slaves to Satan. And Nina knew. Thank God for Nina. She knew that we needed to find the Lord. And we even talked about this. We knew what our lives were growing up. We've got two beautiful daughters. Uh, 
And we made a promise to ourselves that they wouldn't be raised in the same environment we were raised in. There was no way my daughter at eight, I was going to offer her alcohol. There was no way at 16, I was going to give my daughter. So it was breaking the cycle, just like Jesus came to break the cycle. That's what uh, we wanted to do, too, was was break the cycle. And, uh, you know, you you speak about, um, you know, racism in the U.S. And that was another thing that Jesus wanted to do, Hmm. break the cycle of racism. He wanted to teach him. What did he say? What are the two greatest commandments? Mm, To love Love God and love your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? The Samaritans are your neighbor. The Gentiles are your neighbor. He wanted them to know that love. He, I, I mean, when you think about the life of Jesus and what he came to do to paint a different picture, because the picture that was painted of his father was grotesque, and he needed to redo yeah, that. And so we needed to do the same thing in our lives. We needed to break that cycle. That's right. That's right. We needed to break that cycle of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, alcoholism, dropout rate, um, uh, economic uh, issues. I mean, everything. Hmm. All I, that. I love that you say that because um, stereotyping is huge, right? Mm-hmm. And all those things that you've just mentioned mm-hmm. isn't part of the native tribe culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. Um, but then you have others out there that will stereotype it to that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make that the person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so that's something that, um, yeah, that I love. I love yeah. that you have acknowledged yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But when you, you know, when you think of Jesus coming, he he done. He is still continuing to do a marvelous mm. job, teaching us and letting us know. Uh, you know, uh, we've had to deal with racism um, forever. Um, And I say that from the standpoint of the non-Indian, the European white man coming into the United States. Uh, That has been something that we've been dealing with. And I'll I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Yes. So on November 3rd, 1755, before the United States signed the Declaration of Independence of 1776, so this was 1755, King George II... And the settlers in the U.S., King George put a bounty on the Penobscot Indians. The Penobscots were the ones that helped the pilgrims survive that first winter. And so it went from the Penobscots helping them survive the winter to King George putting a bounty on the Penobscots. And the settlers were paid to kill them off. To kill them. They had to bring proof to get paid, so they brought scalps. Mm. And so the equivalent today of what they were paid, they got paid $12,000 for every Penobscot man that they killed. Men, okay. Men. They got $6,000 for every Penobscot women that they killed, and they got uh, about half that for the children. And so... And they were paying other native... Americans to do this? Is that what you're saying? No, they were no. paying the, the white man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, so between 1675 and 1885, scalp bounties were issued in the entire United States. Scalp bounties. Up until what date did you say? Uh, 1885. 
1885. After the Civil War. Yes. Yeah. Not that long ago. So in Minnesota, in, in California during the gold rush in 1849, they took, the, the government of California took a million dollars. And I don't know how much that is in today's. A million dollars to pay the trappers to kill men, women, and children. And some villages, entire villages were wiped out. So it's genocide, really. It that's was genocide. It was, it was government-sanctioned right? genocide. And you got to understand, not everybody listening to this might understand this, but you guys will. I know you will. It said um, it, was, it, the, it had two horns like a lamb and spoke like mm. a dragon. Now, you got to understand what that means. It's not they're going to speak like a dragon. They will speak like a dragon. They spoke yeah. like a dragon. And, I mean, that was from the very founding of the United States. The Bible tells us that they had two horns like a lamb, and they spoke, they spoke yeah. as a dragon. And so uh, from, from the very beginning, uh, we've just seen and witnessed uh, a lot of racism here in the United States. And once again, Jesus came to break that. He wanted to break that cycle. And, uh, you know, between... Um, 1778 and 1871, 368 treaties were signed with the tribal nations wow. in the U.S. Okay. 368. And take a guess out of how many of those treaties were broken. Virtually all, right? Every single, Every single one. one. Every single one of those mm -hmm. treaties were broken. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that these treaties had a common sentence in these treaties. What was the sentence? I'm in our Point Elliot Treaty that was signed at Muckleteo over there by Everett, in, um, that my, uh, great, my dad's great-grandfather signed in uh, 1855, Article 2 of the Point Elliot Treaty says, no white man. And it specifically says white oh. man. It doesn't say black man, Asian man, uh, China man. It says no white man shall be allowed to reside on the reservation without permission. Wow, okay, okay. Because they had a bad reputation. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and the, the natives says, you know, we don't want you living on our, yeah. on our lands. Yeah. And, and so uh, 1887 was kind of like a, a big turning point. And uh, <clears throat> people don't know this history, but in 1887, so gold was found on Indian reservations in the U.S., and the white man couldn't get their hands on him. And I don't say white man spared, you know, to disrespect or, you know, try to be mean, but that's just what the language says. I'm just repeating what the language says. So my father-in-law was a white guy, just awesome. My son-in-law, you guys yes. know my son-in-law, yes. Tyler Long, he's an awesome man. God blessed us with these two men in our life. Uh, without them, I wouldn't have a wife and I wouldn't have grandchildren. <laughs> so I just use this term in, in context of the historical standpoint of what it says there. <clears throat> so in 1887, gold was found in the Black Hills. The white man needed to get his hands on this gold, but the treaty said he couldn't. So they had to think quick on their feet. And so in 1887, the Dawes Act was passed. And the Dawes Act basically said... For the first time in history, this land is not communally owned by all the tribal members. So 
you had a reservation, it was communally owned. Everybody owned it. And even owning Mother Earth was a foreign concept to Native Americans. That's right. It was really <coughs> private property is not a part of the whole tradition that, that you're a part of, was it? it no. Was, everyone owned it. Yeah, we were part of the fabric. We were mm -hmm. like a spider web. We were just part of it. And our thought process was, you know, um, we're just... Um, a, and, and our people had just a strong connection to the Creator. They might not have known God. They might not. Uh, they did know God. They might not have known Jesus. They might not have known about the Holy Spirit. But they had this strong connection to Mother Earth and the Creator. And they knew how important God's creation was to them. And they knew that they only took what they need. And if there was any imbalance, it would be a ripple effect to impact the whole ecosystem. And so um, I know the Holy Spirit was uh, speaking to them to talk about how important Mother Nature and just you're a part of it. You don't own it. You're not, you know, to be greedy with it. Uh, but, um, but so in 1887, the Dawes Act was passed. And for the first time in history, an individual tribal member had their own parcel of land. So if you were a male married, you got 160 acres. If you were male single, you got 80 acres. Of course, women never got anything just because of the discrimination towards women um, back in those days. They couldn't vote. They couldn't own land. They were basically just property. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example of what happened. So let's say Swinomish had 20 acres of land and 10 men and each man were allowed two acres of land to take up that 20-acre reservation. Instead of doing that, the federal government said, okay, there's 10 men, you only get one acre of land. So there's 10 acres used up, well, there's 10 acres left over. So what did the federal government do with that extra 10 acres? They considered it surplus. Oh, okay. And they gave it to the white man. So, okay, so you go from a place where it's community. Mm -hmm. So there's no there's no gates or fences up. Everyone owns everything. The land belongs to and I, I understand that concept because in the Polynesian culture it's very similar. Mm -hmm. So you go from that to the land suddenly being divided up and you now own a portion of the land and you know, so I don't know if there were fences that were put up to separate each, but you've got this invisible line now yes. how did that change the thought process or the traits or characters in some of your own um of the native well once people? again that happened in 1887 so yeah. i wasn't around in 1887 yeah. to be able to tell you how they felt about that yeah um i don't know um all i know is that what happened was the Black Hills was declared surplus. Okay. And so the white man was able to go in. You guys know about the Oklahoma Sooners. Mm. Do you know about where that term came from, the Sooners? No, no. Uh, do you, are you familiar with that, with the Oklahoma, when they opened Indian land? And the, um, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise did a movie. I can't remember the name of it now. But that's a good example of how they were able to rush Indian land and to stake their claim because the federal government was giving away land to the non-Indians. And so that's where the term the Sooners came from. The sooner I get out there, the sooner yeah. I get my, my, yeah. my land. And so, so it was a strategic move oh, yes. to get yes. that. So yes. they have access to that goal, yes. right? Yes. And we went from about in 1887, 
we went from about 140 million acres of land owned to uh, approximately uh, 50, 40 to 50 million acres. So it was just basically we lost. So what happened also is taxes. So the two foreign concepts to us was owning land and paying taxes. That was like, that was the, the, the conservative values that we have. Taxes are like, no, uh-uh. And so what happened was when we were given this land, they were able to tax it. And so the county governments taxed the land. And 99% of the Native Americans were poor, didn't have money. So what happens when you don't pay your taxes? You get foreclosed. You get foreclosed. So there was another Sorry, loss. They weren't really giving the land. They were finding a way to steal That's right. it. That's right. So they were basically taking ownership of it. It, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> so in that law, it says, okay, you have your land. You can have it for 25 years. And after 25 years, if the federal government deems you civilized, we'll stamp that on the piece of paper, uh -huh. civilized. You are now civilized. So you know what comes with civilization? More taxes. More taxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, actually, what they did is, so you have trust land and fee land. Trust land, it's owned by the federal government. It's not taxed. Fee land is the land that the non-Indians got when they uh, were given the surplus. So it went from trust land to fee land. And so after 25 years, if you were deemed civilized, they stamped it fee land. So that went out of trust. It was another way to lose more land. So they were very ingenious in, in their thought process. And, uh, and so 1887 was another big issue. Um, his name was, let me see here. Um, Captain Richard Pratt. Captain Richard Pratt. In 1887 came up with the concept, kill the Indian, save the man. Kill the Indian, save the man. That, you can Google that and oh learn about kill the Indian, save the man. I'm, I'm, hearing to those, I'm hearing those words, and in my head, it's just... Yeah, yeah. And so when... Captain Pratt was um, in the army fighting the Indian Wars. One of his generals says, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And so he changed that, the only good Indian is a dead Indian, to kill the Indian, save the man. So basically what he did is he created the boarding schools here in the United States. So in 1887, let's imagine right now. Did you have kids? Oh, yes. I had two, and now I have three grandkids. Okay, let's, let's say, for, for example, when you were raising your kids, <clears throat> and um, let's say when they turned six years old, the federal government came in and took your kids away from you. Today, let's say the federal government comes in and takes your kids away from you. And let's say they won't, they won't let you see them for up to 12 years. It's a stolen generation, right? The 80% of all Native American kids in the U.S. were ripped out of their homes. I, I don't, as a mother, I don't even know how to, even just hearing it now, I just, what would I you can't do? even comprehend. What would you do? I would fight. Uh, I would, you, but, but they couldn't exactly, do nothing. Couldn't, right? couldn't do nothing. Couldn't do nothing. And so in 1887, they started the boarding schools. And these kids were ripped out of their homes. 
Any kid between the ages of 6 and 18 were taken and sent to these boarding schools, and 80% of our kids were sent there. When they got to the boarding schools, <clears throat> their hair, the boys' hair, the girls, they were shaved, you basically shaved. They lost their, their, their hair. I mean, that was big to our culture. You know, we well, just, the, the, the hair meant just, it was just a symbol. And, they did everything to try to take away their culture and their language, right? It was ethnocide. It was ethnic cleansing. And so it was ethnocide. So you got to the boarding schools, and a lot of these kids only knew their language. They didn't know English. They only knew their language. So the kids could not speak their language. They could not tell their stories. They could not uh, dance. They could not sing. They could not do anything traditional. And if they did, they were beaten. And, and were they taught that it was because it was wrong? It was it, wrong. Yeah. So it was <coughs> kind of like a colonize, like a takeover of the mind, basically, to, yeah. to rewire you and just to yeah. everything that you know, who you are, what you've been brought up with, the shoulders that you stand on, we're all wrong. This is the right yeah. way and this is how it can only be, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was 1887. Twelve years later in 1899, a young boy was born on an Indian reservation. And at six years old, he was taken from his home and sent to a boarding school. And 20 years later in 1919, this young man was 20 years old and he was still held captive. I say prisoner of war and people say, no, no, you can't use that term. <laughs> he was held captive in this school in Oregon, Central Oregon, and they would not let him go. And at 20 years old, he finally had enough and he ran away. And he made it from Oregon, running home to Seattle. We have the letters from the school, the actual letters from the superintendent of the school saying, and this young man was my grandfather. Hmm. Oh my goodness. This was my grandfather we're talking of. And in 1919, we have the letters that said, Ernest Clattisby ran away. He's heading to LaConnor. If you apprehend him, let us know. We'll come and pick him up and bring him back to the school is basically what the letter said. My grandfather, hmm. 20 years old still being held in this boarding school. He made it to Seattle. World War I was winding down, but he made it to a Navy recruiting station, and he signed up for the Navy. Hmm. We have the second letter. The school sent the Navy a letter and says, basically, Ernest Clattisby is our property. Please return him to the school. Okay. And so what's the military going to do? He enlisted. He should be the military's property. The military brought him back to that school for one week. What they did to runaways, it was probably hell week for him. Mm. And uh, after a week, the military in their infinite wisdom thought, wait, he enlisted. He's our property now. So they went to that school, took him out of there, and brought him to San Francisco for boot camp. Now, how, what, do you have sons and daughters? How, ma how many? Got, we've, well, we've got three boys, and we have three girls. So the older, oldest oldest boys are both in Australia. So you have three boys and three girls. They're taken out of your home. They're sent to this boarding school. And there's not a darn thing you could do about it. You can't see them. Writing to them is basically mm. really not... Calling them was totally out of the question. FaceTiming them was not even... <laughs> and and so, so we have the stories from these children at these schools. 
We have the physical abuse. If your child is being beaten, what do you want to do? You want to protect that yeah. child. Yeah. You got physical abuse. You have mental abuse at unprecedented levels. You have verbal abuse, and the worst one at all in all this, sexual abuse. Sexual abuse was off the charts. And you know who was running these schools? Every single denomination, even the Seventh-day Adventist Church ran a boarding school. Wow. Every denomination and Catholic church ran these boarding schools for the federal government. They got paid to do it. And they were doing this all in the name of God. Yeah, the damages that that does to a child. Oh, my God. And the, the bondage that they're held captive in now. So you've got to imagine, if your child went through that, if your child went through that, and we have stories of sisters trying to protect their younger sisters because they knew what was happening when they're, what's going to happen to their sisters. We have stories of them, basically, trying to protect their sisters. Oh. Horrible, horrible stuff. Unprecedented, horrible stuff to children. And so when you go through mental, physical, emotional, and physical, sexual, you go through all that yeah. abuse, yeah. you... You have PTSD, post-traumatic stress right. disorder. And you need two things when you have PTSD. You need counseling, mm -hmm. number one, which was not available. And number two, what do you need? You need drugs mm. to help you deal with it. They had neither of those. So what drug did our people turn to, that generation? Yeah. Yeah. What did they turn to? Alcohol. So people wonder why Native Americans have the highest alcoholism rate of any segment of society. They don't know the genesis. And there's one thing in the Bible that always bugged me. God says, I will not hold this, the, the sins of the parents. I will not hold the children responsible for the sins of the parents. But it also says in there, I will curse the children to the third and fourth generation. That one, I had a hard time with that one. Like, wait, God, you say you're not going to curse the children for the sins of the parents, but you're going to curse the children to the third and fourth generation? What does that mean? And it's generational. Sure, it's a natural consequence, isn't it? We, what happens has an effect for more than just that generation or even the next generation or the next generation. So the, what we have in our culture is generational trauma mm -hmm. and historical trauma. And so when you have generational trauma and historical trauma, why did our great-grandparents become alcoholic? Why did our grandparents become alcoholic? Why did our parents become alcoholic? Why was alcohol so accessible to me at eight years old, at one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, at eight years old? It was generational. It became... It was their coping mechanism to numb them from the pain, the trauma, the hurt, because nothing else was available for them to, to get that healing. It's they died with it. Mm. They, they went to their grave. And you know what was brought back to our communities? An elder said, a child is a reflection of their upbringing. A child is a reflection of their upbringing. And so when... <sighs> You have, when you are brought up in this environment, and that's all you know, and when you become an adult, right. we had so many of our 
Native men become sexual predators in our communities when they came home. They became the sexual predators. Because it was done to them. It was right? done to them. They say that, I might get the statistic wrong, you could double check on this, but I think like a very high percentage, like between 60 and 80 percent of those that uh, um, are sexually abused as at a young age become sexual abusers themselves. It's, it's generational. And Brian, I have a question, maybe a little off the topic, but it, it occurs to me because of these stories you're telling us. There are a lot of people in our society today who seem to say we should not think about these issues of the past. Let's just be positive and move forward. So whether we're talking about what happened to Native Americans or whether we're talking about slavery, they say just don't talk about this stuff in the past. Why is it important that we not forget the stories of the past? One good example is the Bible. What would happen if we never ever studied the Bible? That's history. Yeah, that's old. That's, let's, let's forget about yeah. that. What happened during the Dark Ages? The Bible was that's not that's accessible. Right. They said, Satan said, we need to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan first said, let's destroy the Christians. So for 300 years, every Christian he yeah. destroyed, 10 more showed That's up. Right. Like, this isn't working. Yeah. So if I can't beat them, I have to join them. Yeah. So he joined the church. And he made rules to say that the Bible is no longer, you don't need to yeah. read the Bible. He will take, take that away from and, you. And so and it was taken away. Keep you in the darkness. And so the same thing today. Someone said that if you don't teach history, you're bound to repeat it. That's right. If you don't teach history, you're bound to repeat it. If you don't shine light on, on these issues, it remains in the dark. There's a segment of our society that just want a Pollyannish view of history. They That's don't, for sure. They don't want to know um, the bad things that have happened. And I, we need to shine light on that. Mm. We need to let people know that this really happened yeah. in the U.S. This is real. And, and speaking to parents that are watching this, how would you feel if your children were ripped out of your hands? They were sexually abused, mentally abused, verbally wow. abused, physically abused. How would that make you feel? I, no parent listening to this should say, oh, that would oh, be, oh, yeah. yeah, I would love oh, that. Um, no I way. Guess It'd be all right. I no. would want to get, <laughs> no take way. my nine millimeter and go down <laughs> there and <laughs> forgive me, Lord, <laughs> righteous indignation. But oh, you know, goodness, any yeah. when a parent, when a child hurts, a parent hurts with oh, them. Yeah, yeah. And when a child hurts and a parent can't do a darn thing about it, that's that's yeah. doubly yeah. bad. So, yeah, there's a segment of our society that you know don't want to don't want our kids to yeah. know this. And in fact. They don't even teach it now. What I'm sharing with you, it, it's mm. not taught in any classroom. Kids aren't aware of it because they don't want to. They just want to hear about the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, the first Thanksgiving and how the Penobscot shared their food with them. Yeah. They don't want to hear about the Penobscots being murdered for $12,000 a man, $6,000 a woman, and half that for a child. Mm. They don't want to hear that. They just Is, is that... Is that because it brings shame, or is that what 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 that's, would you say? That's a good question. I, they just don't want to hear it's that. It's just easier to deal with it's when just you just sweep it, it under the carpet. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, you know, so and there there are many who think it's somehow unpatriotic mm. because 
to be patriotic, you're supposed to say everything's always been wonderful. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. But you know, we all know in our families, even that's not true. We mm-hmm. th- nothing is perfect mm-hmm. in this world, and as you say, the Pollyanna kind of approach mm-hmm. doesn't really help us deal with those generational issues. So I just want to share with you uh, one more thing here. Um, so because of alcoholism and drug abuse, when you're alcohol, you wouldn't be here today if you were an alcoholic or a drug user. You wouldn't be here today. If you, I wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be where we're. We're only here by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Only, we are blessed Amen. and highly favored. We have a God that loves us and cares about us, and he only wants what is good for us. And so when it comes to my leadership style and breaking the cycle, just some statistics. There are over 5 million Native Americans today in the U.S. We have the lowest health status of any Americans. We have the lowest life expectancy of any Americans. We have the highest dropout rate. We have the highest unemployment rate. We have the highest poverty rate. We have the highest economic adversity rate. We have... And that's just from that standpoint. And when you look at diseases, we have the highest rate of heart disease, the highest rate of cancer, the highest rate of liver disease and cirrhosis, the highest rate of diabetes, the highest rate of homicide, suicide. We have the highest rate of chronic lower respiratory disease, the highest rate of stroke and overdose. Mm. Interesting. I find hearing that, for me, growing up in New Zealand and um, doing ministry and living 14 years in Australia, that's interesting to hear because the indigenous to New Zealand, which is the Maldives and the um, Aboriginals in Australia, this is their same story. This is their story. When you look at, there's three countries in the world that I'm very familiar with, Canada, New Zealand, and the United States. And what three countries right. all implemented the boarding school system mm. to kill the native, save That's the right. Indian? All yeah. three of those countries did. Yeah. All three of them experienced the same thing. Yeah. And so from, you know, just like Jesus came to break the cycle of ignorance about the father and to heal the sick mm. and to um, heal the blind yeah. and to bring, you know, do all that. As a leader, my goal was to break the cycle of these disparities that, I shared with you. And so uh, there was, growing up, alcoholism was the rage. Like I said, it was 50 to 80% alcoholism rate. Today, we're probably under 10% at Mm. Swinomish. Our unemployment rate was 50 to 100% at Swinomish. We're probably under 10% right now. The the, the, The health of our children is improving. So... My, my son-in-law, what has made the difference? my daughter, LaVon, my son-in-law, Tyler, they've got two kids. So this is breaking the cycle. So for the first time in about 100 years in our family, Nina and my two grandkids are being raised in a home that's 100% drug and alcohol free. That's breaking the cycle. That is breaking the cycle. When we were growing up, it, nobody had dental care. Zero dental care. We had a dentist come to our community once a year in June, and his job was to drill, fill, and extract. It was pretty much just a, a torture chamber for us mm-hmm. to go to the dentist once a year. We had 
parents that didn't take, uh, buying a toothbrush or having a toothbrush was just like non-existent toothpaste. It would be the least of the worries as well. Right. So we wanted to break that cycle. So at Swinomish, we um, built a multi-million dollar health clinic and a multi-million dollar dental clinic. And so where I hated to go to the dentist, my grandkids loved to go to the dentist. They loved to go there. And so uh, when the kids and parents, it's all about the parents, too. It's not the kids. It's teaching the parents. Right. It's not teaching the kids. It's teaching the parents, breaking that cycle yeah. Yeah. that they've always dealt with. And so the kids, when they are old enough to get braces, the tribe provides braces That's for free. amazing. For free. I love that. For my granddaughter has braces. They'll be coming off here. And the Facebook posts of our children smiling. A lot of our adults my age and younger, Don't you know. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have no teeth. Yeah. And now we're breaking that cycle. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. Education. Mm. Education. You know that if you're educated the chances of you breaking the cycle of poverty is really high. The chances of you breaking the cycle of alcoholism is very high. And you having a job after you're educated is usually right there. So we're there. So when our kids graduate or get a GED, they get a full-ride scholarship to the school of their choice anywhere in the world. That's amazing. Anywhere in the world. That's community right there, isn't it? That's community. That's why we're the Swinomish Indian tribal community. Yeah, and so, you know, you got education, you have, you know, health. I mean, all those cycles were breaking. This uh, may be an irreverent question, but but let me ask it anyway. Um, We are sitting here within, I guess, a mile or two of a huge Native American casino. Have the casinos been a blessing or a curse yes. or part of both? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes. That's a great yes. question. So uh, I use the example of Ezra going back to rebuild and restore the wall mm. at Jerusalem. He's leaving Babylon. And uh, the king, uh, I think it was King Artaxerxes, I think, that signed that proclamation and says, you go back. But you know what? We have a casino right down the road here that just is flush with money. You put as much of that money in your cart and you take it back. And he's like, no way, man. I'm not taking none of that money. Uh -uh." (laughs) Uh-uh. He didn't question the king where that money came from. He didn't question where that gold came from. Because you know who, who owns all that? Who owns all that? God. God owns it all. And when the Egyptians, when Moses left Egypt, and the Pharaoh said, take, take, all, your, take all these spoils with you, Moses says, well, I'll take it from that business, that business, but that casino over there, no, 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 no. He just took, because it was from God. And you got to understand, the economics in Indian country is still abysmal. Uh, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, I think their average annual income per person is $3,000. Can you imagine living off $3,000 a year? No. That's their average That's... annual income. So there's never been a Marshall Plan. The 
Federal government says, here, Indians, take this plot of land. The majority of it was lo not location, location, location. Yes. And so it was, you know, even today, you travel 573 tribal nations, probably 90% of them have zero infrastructure. Zero infrastructure. The city you live in has a bank, it has fast foods, it has grocery stores, it has places to go. When you live in Indian country, you don't have the infrastructure. So there was never a Marshall Plan for Indian country. Nothing worked. And I'm no advocate, I don't gamble. I, I, I go to a casino to eat, maybe watch your Mariners, but I will not put a, any money yeah. into a slot machine. Yeah. And so, right now at Swinomish, uh, we've been able to buy back close to 30 or 40% of that land that was wow. lost okay. through the casinos. Our kids are able to go to college for free because of that casino. Our kids are able to have mm. braces because of that casino. It's a great Our, every single tribal member, every single tribal member gets free eyeglasses every year. I, as an elder, get hearing aids. Our, you know, once again, you have to take care of the needy. When you turn 55, our elders get their utilities paid for. Water, sewer, oh, garbage. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine? No. Um, that's great. Our elders get, you know, a monthly stipend if you're 55 and over. And so this was never, ever possible we have a multi-million dollar medical clinic. We have a multi-million dollar dental clinic. We have, believe it or not, the only one of its kind in the United States heroin treatment center that is treating 500 mm. patients, 80% non-Indian, and healing them. We put in multi-million dollars into that business to heal not wow. only our community, yes, but, but all. we go to five counties starting at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we pick these addicts up. There's no excuse for them to come. It's not a dose and go. They come to our clinic. If they have kids, they have free daycare. They come to our clinic. If they haven't seen a doctor and had a physical, they get a free doctor mm. exam. If they come to the clinic and they haven't seen a dentist, which 99.9% .9 of those addicts haven't, we have six dental chairs. Wow. For these addicts. That's we have mental health counselors, drug and alcohol counselors, I mean, you name it. And it's right. all because of the money yeah. from the casino. And other people have been blessed by it as well. I know that yes. uh, in an area where I used to live before I moved here to Washington, I was just a few miles from uh, a huge medical center, and one of the uh, tribal nations has made contributions to the new hospital in that medical center. I'll, I'll share another story with you. My daughter went here to Auburn Adventist Academy. It's so ironic. Education destroyed our communities. Education is rebuilding our communities. Boarding schools destroyed our communities. I sent my daughter to a boarding school. <laughs> and she went here to Auburn. And they had a, they had a fire. And the girls' dorm That's burned they down. Did. They did. And so the Muckleshoot tribe down here, mm -hmm. they were the first that next morning the Muckleshoot tribe opened up a special account with $10,000, yes, seed money. And there was some Adventist here at the school says, no, 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 we can't accept that money. Well, thank God cooler heads That's prevailed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, isn't it wonderful to see, even though we may not 
like the, the gambling part of it all, to see that tribes are helping the very people that were not very helpful to them in the past. Uh, it shows a wonderful spirit, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the tribes are giving one half of 1% of everything they make to charities in the state. And that's in the multi-million dollars. Over the last 20 years, the multi-million dollars of money that has been given by tribes, is, it's unprecedented. It's never happened before. And if you talk to any of the charities down here, um, what county are we in anyway? Thurston County? Is this Thurston? King, uh, King County? We're still in King, here. King County? Yeah, I mean, all the charities that the tribe helps out here in King County is off the charts. And if you ask any of them, you know, what do you think of uh, you getting this money from a casino? <laughs> mm. I am, I'm just sitting here in, in awe of the story, and I can see Christ right through it, his footprints right through it. Um, the pouring in of the elders that poured into your beautiful wife and yourself. Um, the difference of, I wouldn't say it's, it's like a restoring, getting back. Breaking the cycle. That's right. Mm. And the totem pole, like at, at the bottom, the foundation looks yes, different. So yes. the kids that are standing on your shoulders yes, now, the generations yes, that, um, yes. they've got something different to stand on. It's mm -hmm. not, the water's starting to, I mean, it's not totally cleared out yet, mm -hmm. but at least you can kind of see, see. So this, when we, we, we took about $10 million of this casino money and we bought 167 acres of land and we created 40 one acre plots and we built 40 homes. And if you were a tribal member, they were about under 200,000 for a home. And if you were a tribal member, you could apply. The only caveat was you had to be drug and alcohol free and you had to take a drug test. Mm. If we used any government money or HUD money, we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that requirement. But since it was all tribal money, we were able to. We were yeah. able to. And we wanted to create a community, a small little 40 acre plot where the kids and the parents mm. wouldn't have to worry about crack dealers. Yeah. A safe community. It's a safe children. community. Right. And so we had an entire community being raised in a community drug and alcohol free. That's breaking the cycle. And right now, uh, our unemployment, our dropout rate in our gen my dad's generation was probably 90%. The dropout rate in Nina and my generation was probably 50%. When it got to my daughter's generation, it was probably down to 30 to 40%. That's that's huge. In the last it's couple of years shift. in our community, we've had 100% graduation rate in wow. our community. That's, that's breaking wow, that's the amazing. cycle. That's breaking Absolutely. The cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we would make it clear that none of us here either uh, advocate or approve of gambling, no. but I think it is wonderful <laughs> that given this money, it's being used for oh, good yes, purposes. Yes. And... Uh, so, as I say, we, we might not approve of the gambling, but the spirit of the tribal nations in using this money for good, yes. I think we have to applaud, don't we? Yes, yes. I mean, you don't uh, have to look further than what we're doing mm -hmm. for our people. And That's it, right. It's made, uh, and the number of kids in school today being raised in drug and alcohol-free homes is off the charts. 
That's it's marvelous. a far cry from their grandparents and great grandparents. Uh, and yes, and come, they've come a long way. Come a long way. Come a long way. We only have a few minutes left. I want to ask a question that gets down to our listeners who are just sitting in the pew in church, the people like us. What can we do to make a difference? Uh, what kind of advice would you give if someone is watching and saying, you know, well, I didn't realize all of this. Uh, what can I do? Do you have practical suggestions for the person in the pew? As a Seventh-day Adventist, um, you know about the three angels message. And that's all we need to, we should be focused on. We shouldn't worry about LGBTQ. We shouldn't worry about gay marriage. We shouldn't worry about politics. None of that. That's just a distraction. Satan wants to distract us. What we need to focus on is the three angels message. And once we get this message to the world, he's coming back. That's all we should be focusing on. And we have, the, the field is ripe. There's 573 tribal nations and the field is ripe. I mean, we're at a point now where if we just have an opportunity to try a vacation Bible school in the summertime, um, hand out pamphlets, just anything. I mean, just to just plant the seed. I mean, how many talents do you have? Do you have five talents? Do you have three talents? Do you have one talent? How many talents do you have? And what are you going to do with them? Are you going to bury them or are you going to share them? And Lord willing, you'll want to try something, anything, just to plant a seed because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We plant the seed, the Holy Spirit waters it and grows it. So uh, that's what I would encourage you to do. Just look into an Indian community. If there's an Adventist church established, go work with them. If not... See what you could do with the local leadership because there's nobody in Indian country that is adverse to trying to share the word to improve tribal members' lives. Well, Brian, well, Kenny, do you have a last question that you might I, ask? I just want to acknowledge just what you've spoken about, the great things that you know, you've done for the community, for your tribe as well, um, and standing in that gap with Christ. Yes. Um, to give a whole new to these kids. I just, um, I can see Christ right through your story and I just thank you for sharing it because now I'm a bit more richer in my knowledge as well. Um, I'm not only gonna take away the knowledge of um, the trials, but also the great things that has come and what we're gonna look forward to as well, um, watching, so thank you for sharing that. One of my favorite verses is, let your light shine so others may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father right. which is in heaven. That's right. They let, you, let your good work shine through. I and love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, our time is about up. Brian, thank you so much for sharing your fascinating story with us and history that may make us a bit uncomfortable, but that we need to understand if we are really going to move forward in racial rec reconciliation, which is what we want to do in this podcast. We hope you'll join us again for Just Us. Tell your friends about it, too. They can hear it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or other places where you get your podcasts. It's also available in video form on YouTube.
Thank you again to Ketty for helping us today. Thank you. And Brian, we so appreciate your story. And thank you for joining us as well. We hope you'll join us next time for Just Us.